Hello. Welcome to another podcast. I know that there's way too many podcasts out in the world. Hopefully you will find this one entertaining. My name is Jack Woods. Alongside me is my fraternity brother, Landon Wood. We are at Delta Upsilon at DePaul University in Greencastle, Indiana, in the midst of a pandemic. And it we have no AC in our rooms currently <laughs> right now. It is quite miserably hot. But we wanted to share our thoughts and wanted to talk about what our parents or what our authority figures in our in our life taught us and the life lessons and how well they hold up right now. Let me just say, Landon, how are you today? Doing all right. Doing pretty well. Pretty well? Yeah. What have you been excited. doing today? Well, I did some mentor stuff. Mentor stuff. Leading out people, students, fellow students, first years, their new experience. Yeah. 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 Welcome yeah. to the first year, the DePaul experience. Yeah. yeah. You got to speak into the microphone, man. Like, that's that's kind of a key feature of a, being on a podcast. Uh, we can just turn this up, and then <laughs> we can hear him now. There we go. Now we're good. <laughs> All right. Well, Landon, let's... Let let's let's just let's just dive right in. What did your parents teach you about shame? Because it's something that we all have. Yeah. We it all it, we all know it exists in everybody. What did your parents teach you about it? Shame's a weird thing because it, you don't usually specifically use the word shame. Mm. My first question is, what do you mean by shame? What do I mean? By, I mean like, okay, to give you an example, what my parents told me, very young, very young, ever since I could remember is that when you do bad things, bad things happen, right? So when bad things happen to you, mm-hmm. it automatically feels like your fault. You know what I mean? Like yeah. because something bad happened to me, clearly I deserved it, which cultivates this, this, this feeling of shame and this feeling of like, man, why did that happen? Why did that happen? What did I do to deserve this? Yeah, I guess uh, it wasn't it wasn't exactly spoken about. So it was implied. There was a lot of implied messages. Um, so I remember, I think it was third grade, second grade. I got in huge trouble. I mean, big big trouble. What'd you do? Steal a crayon or some shit? Uh, I think I got jumped, but also started to fight. <laughs> Started a fight, but you got jumped. Yeah, something on those lines. Uh, which is really weird to be like a second grader and get jumped on the p- playground. It's not really like the time frame that you, you well, talk we, about getting jumped. Well, we all remember the scourge of getting jumped in like second and third grade. Yeah, we all remember those days. Do just, we? Just being held at gunpoint <laughs> on the playground. On the playground. Yeah. <laughs> but I came home and I'm pretty sure I got paddled. Right? I got spanked. Mm-hmm. I did something weird. I don't exactly remember. Probably best that I don't. But it was like, it's the lingering feeling afterwards. It's like the, the constant judgment inside of yourself that's like, man, I'm a shitty person. I should feel bad. Like, in that, that, like, that little voice that's just like, you're a piece of shit, man. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the shame. What's crazy about that for me is that it's not, uh, it's not exactly useful right like you kind of got your punishment you you learn you learn about it and move on mm-hmm. like I've tried to eliminate that myself um, since then I vividly remember it when I was younger mm-hmm. it was a your parents would scold you 
your parents would say, oh, you're not supposed to do that. You need to do it better. And then my immediate reaction was, oh, I'm a piece of shit. I should feel bad about this. Mm -hmm. Instead of just fixing it and moving on. Well, I I mean, I want to say that I think my parents were right when they said, you do bad things, bad things happen. Because that's true, partially. Yeah. But that also eliminates like, hey, sometimes bad things are just going to happen and it's out of your control. Yeah. And, you know, when things are out of your control, that's that's when the lines start to get blurred a little bit, you know? Because then it's like, well, that's not exactly my fault, but why do I still feel bad about this? Mm-hmm. For a uh, frame of reference, um, got it. much like you and your scourge of getting <laughs> beaten up and held at gunpoint on the playground, um, I... Uh, I got into a fight at a kickball game at recess, and yeah, I mean, I mean, I I kicked that little dude's ass, <laughs> but um, you were a little dude too, though. Yeah, I, w- I was much shorter than I am now, and I'm pretty short. But <laughs> we we got into a scuffle, and we brought into the principal's office, and you know that's an obvious situation. You you did a bad thing, yeah, right. You got into a fight, and then bad things happen. You got into trouble yeah right so that makes sense why you would feel ashamed about that but like you know when there was another example when god a lot of crappy things happened to us in elementary school but like elementary school is terrible it was terrible yeah but um somebody took something out of my cubby remember cubbies oh somebody, cubby. something took somebody took something out of my cubby and i yeah. told the teacher and that's a bad thing that happened but for some reason i still felt bad because it's like why did that happen to me what did i yeah. do to deserve that and it, i guess it's uh Back to your consequences thing, like bad things will happen to you. I, I was told in a different way. I was told in karma. Like there's the Christian model of sinning, right? right. That if if you do something bad, the wrath of God is gonna get you. And like yeah, it, it wasn't that prevalent. It was a it was like this weird take the Eastern idea of karma and mix it with this Christian sin idea. And that was kind of what my dad taught me. Hmm. So my dad was like. You gotta look out for karma. These are even songs they would listen together. Like, uh, I'm gonna plug Brett Denon. <laughs> Don't mess with karma. I love Brett Denon. He's okay. one of my favorite artists. Okay. Uh, but he has a song called Don't Go Messing With Karma. It'll come around. That's mm. the lyric. It'll come around. And that was like the idea of if you do something, if you put negative into the universe, negative is gonna come back to you. And I used to think that like, okay, that, that's just your actions, right? Like, it's just your actions. Everything that happens in my mind, I'm fine. Like, my mind is my safe space. Whatever I think about, as long as I don't do whatever I think about, I'm okay. So I can think about hurting somebody, but as long as I don't hurt somebody, I'll be fine. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought about when I was like 12. It helped me in a weird way. There was some very abusive situations I was in when I was younger. And that was like the way that I dealt with it was like, if as long as I can think that I hate them and I don't do anything about it, I'll be fine. Mm-hmm. But then with the karma, it was like, if you mess up, if you do something bad, if you, my dad would love to say that heartbreak, you get the most karma from heartbreak. Because if you break somebody's heart, then karma loves to hurt you. So he like kind of made karma this entity, right? <laughs> it was like this idea of karma was like this god. Right. And now... And I realized it's just like a, it's kind of like a recycled version of Christianity, but it had some had some value because then I was like, wait a second, my actions have consequences on the people around me. Mm-hmm. I love the people around me, and those consequences will come back onto me. And obviously, like your parents didn't advocate for you to 
always shift the blame to somebody else. Mm-mm. Obviously, your parents, your your parents are supposed to teach you, hey, take responsibility for your actions. You yeah. know, stand by what you mean, stand by what you say, stand by what you do. But still, that also eliminates that that what if factor. That that's not my fault factor. Yeah. Because and sometimes that is an applicable excuse, which it's lost in youth. That wait, it's not my fault. I think that's an issue. We're that, taught to repress it. How about that? Yeah, either repress it or like kick it off onto somebody else. Hey, What's up? It's Philip. Yeah. We're recording a podcast, Philip. Oh. You can come in. I mean, you can come in, dude. You we're talking about shame. What's up? Hi. Not much. Wow. So we're not even 10 minutes in. We've already referenced Christianity, and we have a guest. How in the world did we manage this? Landon, we're living the high life. It's, it's great. Yeah. How's it going, man? It's going all right. We're, uh, we're talking about shame. Talking about shame. Do you have any shameful experiences of your past? Or anything that your parents taught you about shame? Are we, are we talking more self-reflectively or more outwardly? Because, you know, I think we like shame people a lot in today's culture. But that's that's one thing. That's like mm-hmm. kind of cancel culture path. But then there's also like the self shame, and I mean, of course, I have those. I mean, I I, I used to turn cringe more. Um, <laughs> okay, that's that's <laughs> an odd way to talk about shame. There's cringe, and then there yeah, there are things that like I regret. I wouldn't necessarily say that it's like shame. I think it's more it, it either goes cringe route or like regrets. Hmm. So I'm either I'm embarrassed so by like the memories I have. Yeah. Or I regret what I did. Mm-hmm. But I guess because I try to avoid shame, maybe it just gives me one less negative emotion in my life. Mm. So do you, do you believe that shame is a necessary human emotion, though? Like, like, should we feel shame for some of the things that we do? There's, like, the initial shame. Like, I did something bad. You have to take responsibility for your actions. Mm-hmm. But if you simply make yourself feel shameful all of the time, then you're kind of just... You're punishing yourself and getting in your own way. So... Taking responsibility and constantly having shame and not letting yourself move on from an instance, those are two different things, okay. I think. Okay, so then what what does that period of reflection look like? What is that, you know, I made the mistake, now it's time to get over it. How, how long are you taking before you get over a mistake? It depends on the situation, but it's, you got to take a baby step. Like, mm-hmm. like uh, there, I think there's the three A's. Uh, it's like recognize... Uh, accept and adjust. The, the first one isn't an A. I was about to say. That's like R A. DePaul University teaching A's or R's. I don't know. It's difficult. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Same person who went reading, writing, arithmetic, right? Oh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh but God. You got to do something, right? Like you can't just be like, "Man, I suck," and then you just like sit on the couch and become a couch potato. Like that's the same exact situation. Yeah. You can feel bad for something, take responsibility, then do something. Like, don't just sit on your ass and feel bad about yourself. Okay. Yeah, when you, like, recognize the ramifications of your actions, you know, you're, you're shamed in the moment, mm-hmm. ashamed in the moment, but, you know, there's, it, it's like the person who, they, they will re- just repeatedly apologize, apologize, they'll say they're sorry, they're sorry, they're sorry, you know, they, they feel ashamed of what they did, but... You know, at some point you want to stop hearing them say sorry, and you just want them to never take that action again. And yeah. I think that that's the difference when you you've said you're sorry, mm-hmm. the, the important part, and that's when you need to move from living in the shame realm 
and the ashamed realm to the regret realm. Because mm-hmm. to me, that's almost like two different things. The regret realm is I regret doing that. I'm not going to do it again. Okay. Yeah. By the way, what did you need? I was looking for something to do. You were looking. Well, welcome. I guess I guess you're on <laughs> nice. now. Okay. Yeah. So, um, no, but I was always taught that shame is necessary. It, in ever like whenever I made a mis- really? whenever I made a really detrimental mistake, yeah. like I don't know, talking back to my parents, uh, <laughs> I was I was told you should feel ashamed of yourself. That's your oh, mo- yeah. that that's your mother. You mm-hmm. shouldn't talk to your mother that way. You should feel ashamed. You of should yourself. be ashamed. Right, and I, at, at looking back on it, yeah, I was a shitty kid saying some yeah. saying some really off colored stuff. For like, well, mom, I like Disney Channel. If you don't like it, you can like the TV. You know, stuff. It's just stupid stuff. But yeah, you know, my mom was just doing her best with a really smart ass kid. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, I, looking back on it, like you talked about, Phil, I have that that realm of regret now. Like, man, I wish I had. Sp- I wish I had treated my mom a little bit better growing up, and I wish I had been a little bit more respectful and tried to see what she was trying to teach me instead of fighting against everything. Yeah. My parents have also said that I would cut my nose off to spite my face. <laughs> mm. uh, I think what's... that That's odd for me to think about because it's like telling somebody that they should feel bad about how they feel. Mm-hmm. My mom would always talk about the fact that you cannot control your emotions, right? Like, emotions happen. You don't... You don't it's like saying that you control who you fall in love with. You control who you like. You, you control who you're attracted to. No, like, no it just... You don't really have control over that. Emotions happen because your body physiologically is reacting to its senses. Okay. And so saying that you should feel ashamed for the way that you feel is like saying that you should be angry that your car uh, showed that your engine needs worked on. Okay. Yeah, I, I sort of see where you're going with that. I... Like, I was just going to say, it's like a sign that pops up. Your body's like, hey, um, this is here. This is what's going on. Deal with it how you will. Hey. Or it could be super aggressive, like, we're really angry right now. And you're like, wow, where did this come from? Like, middle school mm-hmm. puberty boys. You're like, oh, man, this was, I'm a little sad about this. No, I'm really angry. Yep. Okay, I'm filled. No, I'm really sad. I'm going to cry myself <laughs> to sleep at night. Yeah. I would just rebuttal with, you know, because I don't think you can be ashamed of something you're currently doing mm-hmm. uh, or you're currently feeling because then you wouldn't be ashamed of it but oh yeah. I think more like when you get to the next you, you can be ashamed of how you felt like someone you didn't like had something tragic happen to them they, they totaled their car and you went and you were happy about it because something bad happened to somebody else mm. but then the next day you're like why did I feel happy mm-hmm. at someone else's loss mm-hmm. like that I think you can be ashamed about that and I would rebuttal on controlling your emotions. I mean, I, th- I think that they are, you can't control them 100%, but the idea of therapy works, the ideas yeah. of strategies different people have, even to medicine, you can harness your emotions, I guess would probably be better yeah. phrasing. I guess you, you could choose how you deal with things, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, and then um, it, it's all about how you react. I mean, we've all watched Star Wars. We've seen, we saw what happens when we tell a really powerful kid to shove his emotions down, he ends up killing children. So, 
Maybe maybe we should tell people to. Ex- oh, I'm sorry. Is that where you draw the line? <laughs> is that where you draw the line? That's what happened in the movies, man. Yeah, I just found it funny. It was just a little, nice little uh, popular culture reference right there. Of course, Jack's gonna bring Star Wars in this one. Well, of course I do. I'm the biggest Star Wars fan in the house. I've gotta be. Graham's not here. Graham's so. not here. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're not the one who has the galaxy plastered on your wall, though. Oh, well, that's not that's not fair. I just moved in. Give me a few Graham days. Graham did it in the first couple days. Give me a few more weeks. I don't know. I'm also lazy by nature. I was saying you're mm. kind of making excuses. Yeah. Well, I feel ashamed did, about mm. it. <laughs> did Anakin Skywalker but, delay for four weeks before killing? The younglings. I gotta say, he was pretty eager. He yes. he was he was like Hayden Christensen really sold me in the second half of Revenge of the Sith. Like he he yeah. he was. Uh-huh. Well, what's interesting about that is like I watched that movie for the very first time when I was be below the age of like twelve. Mm-hmm. So I think what's also interesting is like the the way that you perceive time in like movies because. In my head, it happened in, like, two days when mm-hmm. I was a lot younger, and now that I'm older, I watch the movie, I'm like, this probably happened within, like, a year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the course of that movie happened over, I believe, ten days. Ten days. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was it was, it was was quite a journey for Revenge of the Sith, but Anakin Skywalker is a great example of what happens when you repress shame. Obviously, George Lucas took that to the extreme, <laughs> but, I mean, let's, let's mm-hmm. think about it. Like, Anakin said... You know, you're not supposed to love. You know, yeah. you're not supposed to have relationships. You're not supposed to have attachments. Mm-hmm. And he can't help it, like you said, who he loves. And he can't help, you know, what he's doing. And then he feels all this shame and regret because he's hiding secrets from the people who are trying to give him a promotion. I mean, I guess you could just say he was kind of min-maxing his character. You know, didn't put any points into his moral compass, but put all of his points into being the best starfighter in the galaxy. <laughs> um, back to what you, you were saying assi- earlier. We have an assist. We didn't have a system like R two D two though. I mean, that's gonna be. You can be the best pilot in the galaxy no matter what. R two stayed with the Republic. R two stayed with the, the rebellion. Yeah. That's a sad, sad line. So. Oh man. In the if you watch the original trilogy again, you'll see R two D two. Never followed direct orders from Luke Skywalker. It was always R2, stay with the ship. And he always left the ship to go with Luke. Because in Revenge of the Sith, Anakin says R2, stay with the ship right after he goes on a second murder spree in 10 minutes. And R2 stays with the ship. And he never came back. Anakin never came back to pick up R2. Oh. Isn't that so sad? I didn't R2 know that. depressed. That's so sad. <laughs> <laughs> but back to what you were talking about earlier, Phil. Is shame only an emotion that happens when you look back like they say hindsight's twenty twenty. is that proverb to deal with shame what do you think probe to deal with shame that's a really good question it i guess you could also be shamed on a sudden realization you could be shamed of what you're doing as soon as someone arrives or maybe even overwhelming like you're doing addictions you know you're full of shame while you're shooting up heroin or something mm-hmm. but you're still doing it well that's a rampant problem here in Greencastle. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's not too... And back in my hometown. That's... Anderson, baby! Oh. Damn, it's like we're from the Midwest or something. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> let's, let's try to steer this back to directly on shame. You mentioned Christianity. Christianity perpetuates shame. Oh, yeah. Christianity perpetuates you are nothing without God. You are helpless without God. You will burn forever without God. Mm-hmm. And so 
when you disobey God's commands, quote, that's when you feel this monster growing inside of you that's eating you from the inside out. It's just this, Mm -hmm. God, I don't know what to do about these feelings. I, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to feel. And then you're supposed to read a couple of lines in the Bible and that's all the wisdom you need and yeah. you should be good. No, mm-hmm. that's not that's not it. That's not how it works, no. At least and not, I think, at least not for those that Christianity doesn't apply to. And I think if you take Christianity from like like media today's and kinda of like politics, that is the way that we are controlling people right now, right? Like mm-hmm. science science, media and politics are the way that we control people. Politics is basically just controlling people. Or at least like trying to gain some sort of control on how people think about things and live their life. So if you go back to 200 years ago, say 1800s, uh, 1700s, 1600s, Christianity was the one of the main ways it was used to control people. It was the institution to control people. And it, it, almost all religions have been used in that way, depending on how people want to control. So if you go back to shame as an emotion, it's probably pretty similar because that was one of the main tactics. I mean, think of yeah. the... It's, if you think about... Um the monarchy in the UK, it's not a, the base of the monarchy is the idea, it's actually a theocracy. It's the idea that God doesn't care to micromanage all the time, so instead he put the monarch in, in power. Mm-hmm. Said, so he gave all the power to the crown. That's why King Henry VIII had to leave the Pope. He couldn't just disagree with the Pope because the Pope was so influential, he had to completely ban the Pope from the island, basically. But like, Shame, shame is used as a way for you to sit on something, right? Like, it's it's just when you are sitting on something and you feel bad about it and you're like, man, I have this weight and I just don't know what to do with it. I have all this shame. I have all of this regret. I don't know, like... I, I just feel shame so negative of a term because the main way we... I feel like people use it a lot is, you know, being shamed of your sexuality, being shamed of your this, being shamed of your that... And I, I, that's, like, the main way that I see, see this word being used. Yeah. And it's not, like, being shamed of your your actions is one thing, but a lot of the time it's your something, something about you. Mm-hmm. Not, you can't control your sexuality, but you're being you're ashamed of it. I do like to shy away from that term, mm-hmm. just because it does have such negative connotation. Shame, to me, is almost a word that you don't learn from. Yeah. Well, well, and when you use like that. And let me just say, full disclaimer: Christianity, at its core, is one of the most beautiful religions ever. Yeah. At, at its at its core, yeah, it's such a uplifting and such a beautiful, beautiful message. But people, unfortunately, use Christianity, like you said, to control people, and control people and bring them back in. Like yeah. I, I'm from I'm from Tennessee, and I live near Franklin Road which I ha- which I believe has 13 churches within 2 miles of each other right wow so there's a lot of shame and regret yeah in my hometown and many people don't recognize it because they're being you know you get hit with the all right you're going to go to hell unless yeah you have you know J stars messages but um, I, I wouldn't necessarily even say it's just Christianity. It is every religion ever. Oh, yeah. yeah. You go back to um, the princes of um, what is now India, and their the way of diffusing control was that they would buddy up with the top of the caste system, caste system, um, and they'd buddy up with the religious leaders, mm-hmm. which, yeah, top caste. 
and that's how they would maintain power. The prince would help out the church, mm-hmm. or well, Hinduism. Hinduism. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. I, the denominant there. Uh, um, I think wow. it's shamans. Would may- yeah, maybe. Probably. I don't know what the technical name um, is. And then the religious leaders would then say, "Well, it's they're they're divine. The mm-hmm. princes are divine." And yeah. that way of the linking of the two mm-hmm. um, helped hold that power structure. And then we also see it with Islamic republics today across the Middle East. Leadership and go- law and control through religious text. Mm-hmm. So if you have that shame and you have like these religious control boundaries or control factors, then you're like, how, in yourself, how do you escape shame? Like, what do you do about it? What do you well, guys think? the answer is simple. You just let go of the source of the shame. Hmm. That's, I mean, that's the easiest and quickest way. Which it sounds really, sounds really easy, but it can be pretty hard. Oh, it's very hard, especially when you've invested a lot of time and money and effort into a specific organization. When you realize that it's maybe not for you, maybe it's Hmm. not helping you right now, that's a very hard decision and a very hard conclusion to come to. I remember the last time I went into church and the minister talked about how we were all worthless. How we were all worthless beings that needs, needs God. Hmm. He, we need his message. We need his words just to survive. And have and, a happy Sunday. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You can't go to Cracker Barrel after hearing that shit. You can't play the pet game without <laughs> your mind. <laughs> like, I have three. I'm shameful. I'm worthless. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't. I don't know. It's just I, I. I had to look at myself in the mirror, and I had to. I had to decide right then and there. Am I really about that? Am I really yeah. so codependent on? this one thing that it's changing who I am, changing who I want to be, mm. you know, because unfortunately we also, I also heard in that same sermon that you shall not worship false gods. Well, what about the little kid in India who grew up nowhere near Christianity, who's never done anything wrong in his life? Is he going to hell because he doesn't follow the same religion that you do? That made no sense to me. Mm. My, my when I had, um, so I went to a Christian school for two years, fifth and sixth grade, and in sixth grade, my um, teacher was just a, just an all-around great guy. Loved him. Dude was so caring, so loving, so nurturing, except for the day that he discussed in the Bible section homosexuality, and he gave this most anti-characteristic of him, like, mm-hmm. lecture about fire you know fire brimstone god hates the gays oh. all that teaching and not just that day but throughout that school and that led me to be homophobic mm-hmm. for several years i deeply regret those years just because you know i hurt people who didn't deserve it mm-hmm. you know and yeah. and like that that's my beef with organized religion right there guys <laughs> um believing in a higher power is great but I think there's a lot of moral control exerted. Why did a pastor is saying, yeah, my idea of what's moral and what's not moral is better than everybody else's because I'm religion. Well, and I am a straight, white, cis male, and I'm talking about shame for my ivory towers. I was in Sunday school one time, and one of the oldest uh, elders in the church gets in front of us, and he says, 
guys, now he was he was real Southern. He was real Southern. He goes, guys, let me just say this. If a woman has sex before she is married, she is a whore. And really overpronounced the H. Like, whore. Now that's the obscene part of that sentence, is that H. Yeah, it is. But, <laughs> like, how did the girls sitting beside me feel? Right? Mm-hmm. What are the, What is the message being sent there? Right? You're not supposed to have any sexual thoughts before you get married. You're not supposed to even think about sex before you get married. You, know, you don't want to try things out before you get married. It just... That idea was so baffling and the fact that he had the nerve to say that in front of a class that was predominantly girls if i must say that's so so bad what's crazy to me with that is he goes home and he has that right so what in his life has pushed him to keep that to himself right like maybe he's jealous that uh, his wife may be hooking up with somebody else like maybe having an affair he was too old and his wife was too old to be doing anything at all. How about okay. that? So, the, I don't think that was going on. But, like, like the, shame that you're, the shame that you're projecting mm-hmm. onto the girls. So, what is inside of him? Like, what cognitive dissonance does he live with so that he can have that belief? I mean, maybe it's just, it's just the teachings. And you're surrounded by that. If you, you know, you grow up in the church and you stay in... I, I say the church, and I know the church typically responds, refers to Catholicism. But within that teaching all your life, and you never stepped outside of it, it's like, can you fault somebody who they only know that yellow is actually the color orange, and then they go and they say it's the color yellow, mm-hmm. when really it's the color orange or something, and can you, can you fault them? I can, I can fault him on, on these grounds. He is old. Yeah. Which means, <laughs> but which I don't means think he probably has life experience. Yeah. Which means he probably had opportunities to grow yes, and to be absolutely. good, be a good person, but, to learn a different perspective. But I don't think he's necessarily got like a trauma that causes him okay, to be yeah, this yeah, way. Yeah. I think that was the the main point mm-hmm. I'm really getting at is, you know, he does actually have outside experiences. Yes, but I think that he was just raised to believe that way, and then he defended off all other influences. I don't think he's got like some deep seated jealousy. Well, do you think that? that particular person somehow knows what he's saying is hurtful and wrong. Mm -hmm. Do you think that he has that feeling, yet he feels obligated to teach teach the youth what he was taught? Do you think that obligation or that shame kind of drives him to say the things that he says? I think that goes what I was trying to point out with the cognitive dissonance is... You can tell that it affects somebody's life, right, negatively. Mm-hmm. And there is a negative impact on somebody. So what justification does he have in his head to negatively impact somebody else's worldview? And, wh- and what, what was he told when he was younger that um, he had to deal with and then went through that cognitive dissonance? Like, the same idea goes with... I, I've watched a... Um, presentation on this on it's called post-traumatic post-traumatic slave syndrome mm-hmm. and it is when white people as a generational thing cannot deal with the fact that our grandparents could have been lynching black people simply for the color of their skin out of fear of them mm-hmm. right and that is that would be cognitive dissonance that is when you cannot think about your grandparent, your sweet old grandparent that mm-hmm. bakes you cookies, mm-hmm. hating a, a race. 
mm-hmm. right? And so we can't deal with that. And then that, it, it's still creating trauma, firsthand and secondhand trauma on people around us, on ourselves, on our families. So any sort of shame is kind of the same thing. So shame is passed down because it, yeah. you want to defend your grandma. And because you defend your grandma, you're defending your grandma's actions. Yeah. yeah. But, but in this case, that old pastor, he might not think he's casting negativity. Well, he's, probably not. Yeah. He's, he's, he's trying to teach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that he thinks that what he's saying is two plus two equals four. And if he does harm somebody and he doesn't think he is, that's cognitive dissonance. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't, I don't think he's sitting there like acting like he doesn't know that he's hurting someone. I think he truly thinks it's hard of heart that he's helping, that he's doing good thing. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Yeah. Wow. Where'd you hear that one? I don't know. My parents told me. <laughs> Jack, that's a classic. Come on now, man. I don't know. Does it not make it down to Tennessee? No. Oh. No, I I mean, come on, guys. You've seen the Tom Segura special. All I hear is, God don't make no junk. That's all I hear. That's all I hear. No, I, I swear. I swear. I swear on my grave. We were taught that Adam and Eve walked with the dinosaurs. There was one, there was one Sunday service where we were taught, taught, there is a museum in Kentucky that has Adam and Eve walking hand in hand with the dinosaurs, just riding them, you know, like they're wow. going to work. Adam's got a suit on. He's got the briefcase and the stupid glasses. He's just going to work on the dinosaurs. You're like, dude, dude are Ad- you kidding me? Who's Adam's boss? Who's he working nine to five for? Who's uh, HR? Who does he complain to? The, the, the Tyrannosaurus Rex is definitely the HR rep. The feathered T-Rex? <laughs> So, when you found out about some of the bad things that your parents were taught, you know, when you realized that your parents were human, did you feel ashamed of what they did? Did you feel ashamed to be a part of them, or did you choose to go with the understanding route? Like, hey, it was was a different time, you know, we're trying to change, we're trying to grow. With these sort of issues, and with almost every feeling of shame... The hardest part is change. Mm -hmm. Change is uncomfortable, but the craziest thing about change is that's the only thing you can rely on. Mm -hmm. So it's like you cling on to this, you cling on to this detrimental monster inside of you that's called shame, and you cling on to it, and you're codependent with it so that you don't have to change. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the reason why you have it. And so when you are faced with this paradigm shift, you change with this perspective change, um, then you you have to deal with it somehow and some people who don't want to change they they create shame out of it Mm -hmm. and so that is like their their painful gripping hold that they keep on so that they don't have to deal with it Mm -hmm. and so for me thinking about it it, i kind of just had to i had to embrace it and be like hey like this happened and this is part of it but i have the opportunity to be active in my role and change Mm -hmm. i have the ability to teach my kids something different by recognizing it you can't alter what happened in the past which means that I don't think you should feel shame for it Mm -hmm. you should take responsibility and recognize your actions but you shouldn't live in like self detriment Mm -hmm. no I I get what you're saying I get what you're saying but at at the same time the counter argument could be like well what if you're a murderer what if you kill 20 people well if you kill 20 20 people you don't possess empathy which means you're a sociopath which means you know, you don't feel anything. You don't feel shame. You don't feel joy. You just, eh, I could stab a few people today. 
It's like getting a s- coffee at Starbucks. Like, yeah, I, I, I could go for that. You may feel a wee bit of recoil, though. A recoil? Well, because uh, 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 of the gar... Okay. Um, <laughs> 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 no, but, like, I, I also realize that with shame, it's like you feel this built-up tension. You feel this, and it just it makes the world around you taste gray. Mm-hmm. It's it's gross. It's I don't like it. Mm-hmm. And when I let go of what I was ashamed of, everything just became better again. Everything like life became meaningful, impactful again. I w- I woke up happy. I didn't wake up thinking like ah oh, shit, <laughs> I didn't die today. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like Jeez. like what's your opinion on that? Like when was that? What was that revelatory moment? Like man, I don't really need to hang on to this feeling anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't really need to hold on to this thing that's dragging me down every day. In my past, um, in high school, I had this, I had created this reality where the main reason why I was being pushing myself so hard in high school was because I was trying to make my dad proud. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and he even told me later on, he was like, listen, I, I don't hold you to that standard. You're holding yourself to that standard and then offloading onto me in your own head. And so with that came a lot of shame of... I am letting the people around me down, um, and yeah, I, yeah. I'm letting I'm letting the people around me down, and not doing enough to show the people around me that I love them, mm-hmm. and that was the shame. That was the thing that I lived with for like six years, and it started middle of high school, and I just kept making myself feel bad, and it got to the point where I hated it, and I I had to come to the realization that. In yourself, you, you can hold two different viewpoints at the same time mm-hmm. that are completely contradictory, but you hold both of them. It's like trying to open and close a door and at the same time. At the same time. Mm-hmm. And you're like fighting against yourself. But the thing is that your brain doesn't want, by nature, do not want to have tension. Mm-hmm. And so you have to sit down and do the work of... Why, why is this perspective one way? Perspective A, what is your viewpoint? What is it doing? You try to take like a third party mm-hmm. idea and then like, okay, perspective B, why why am I doing this? Like, how am I seeing it from this end? And then like in your own head, you have them compromise and then you view yourself as like this new person that came out from it. Mm-hmm. And I think that would be the best way to do shame because shame, it can either be something that you hold on to to prevent yourself from changing and improving as a person or you can use it as an indicator, like that sign in your car that says, hey, um, something needs to be changed here to make it a more efficient vehicle. Mm-hmm. How about you, Phil? What was that What was that moment where you were like, man, I, I can just let all of this go? Mm. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. So growing up, I kind of had um, a set of footprints in the sand before me. Mm-hmm. I had an older brother, an older sister. Um, my older brother swam D1 for four years at um, good university, got a scholarship, mm-hmm. not a full one because no one gets those in swimming. <laughs> but and then my sister, absolute, just a genius. Um, you know, had a four at the top public university in America um, for her freshman year. You know, is now working. Has worked for two state, um, two different state governments. And so I felt like I might, you know, I had, I had a path in front of me, mm-hmm. and I often had to live up to it. And so, I, um, it made it difficult because, like, with swimming, you know, my brother had been captain of the swim team, my sister had been captain of the tennis team. So I, you know, I, I had like that lineage, and so 
everything I did well in that sort of line. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are things, you know, I was ashamed of of how I handled situations and whatnot. And I guess the best point I had was when I was finally able to say, you know, you don't have to carry this with you. Like, is this still going to benefit me? I came to college. I didn't have a good freshman year. And then sophomore year, I just came to a moment during the middle of a set during while swimming. And I just thought to myself, sunk costs don't matter. What I've already put into this sport, 15 years, doesn't matter. Right now I need to decide, am I continuing or am I not? Mm-hmm. And by making that decision and saying, all right, I'm moving on. I'm, I'm done with hanging it up. I was able to look back because now, now that timeline was complete. Mm-hmm. And I was able to look at that timeline. And instead of having to shy away or be ashamed of those actions, I could reconcile them with myself and instead regret them. Mm-hmm. And regret them and be like, okay... I'm now so, because it was difficult to take myself out of that timeline and look at it third party when I was still in, you know, still in, in, experiencing the timeline. Mm-hmm. But once I had that tie, I, you know, cut the film reel, wrapped it all up, and put it on the machine, on the projector, that was when I was able to be like, okay, I'm ashamed of that, now I can move that into the regret pile. Because mm-hmm. now this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful uh, thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You guys were family, and I was sports. I was the best rec league baseball player you've ever seen. I was the best player on my middle school team, I think. I, I, I was really playing well in junior varsity. Then I had my shoulder injury. And then I was projected to be the starter, starting catcher my senior year. And the head coach of my high school team did not like me and wanted to promote his son, who was a freshman, who uh, who was uh, below me on the, ro- on, the, on the depth chart and the roster. And... He would berate us at practice. He would yell at us. He would belittle us. He would, you know, make us feel really, really small. And, you know, at the time, I, I was taught to respect authority and to, it's just a part of it. That's what, that's what happens. And, I mean, he treated me so horribly that I just, I just quit my senior year. I was like, I don't, I don't want to play. It affected how I played. I, I had a horrible batting average. I think I threw out only one runner my entire junior year I mean I was I was pretty bad and it's it's followed me ever since and I've been having to deal with the well this bad thing happened to you what did you do to deserve this and I just look back at everything that happened and I I don't see where where I went wrong and for the longest time I was like but clearly that was your fault clearly there was something wrong clearly you forced him to do that one day I just kind of looked in the mirror And I just said, look, you are letting a 44-year-old man who's been divorced and has three kids with a woman he doesn't even love dictate your entire life. So, you know, you just have to one day look at yourself and go, you can hold all this shame and you can hold all this regret and you can hold all these and harbor all these bad feelings and let it grow inside you. Or you can accept what happened, you can learn to move on, and you can learn how to deal with that that pit that we don't want to look at in a productive and healthy manner. I like your story because it shows that a lot of the shame that we have, it's like we put responsibility on ourselves for an instance that we didn't have agency in. Mm-hmm. So to explain that a little bit further, we make ourselves responsible for a situation where we did not have control, where some sort of um, action or situation, we blame ourselves when in all actuality we didn't 
we didn't really have control over what happened. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of coming to terms with, hey, like, as my mom would say, it's not in my hula hoop. Uh, that was one of <laughs> that's my. A, that's a great saying. Yeah. Like that. My mom would use it if I was, uh, like, messing with my brother and we were, like, uh, messing around or was punching him or, like, tickling him or something, doing something weird. As messing around. <laughs> giving him the old one, two, left, <laughs> right. He was bleeding, but hey, I was tickling him, too. <laughs> but my mom would just be able to turn around and be like, hey! Stay in your hula hoop, or and like the same wow. thing. That's 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 right to the point. Yeah, and it would also be like uh, she'd use an example if you're talking and you're like you take control of somebody else's situation. You're like, um, well, what were you doing today, huh? When did you do your chores? And we're like, hey, kid, chill out, stay in your own hula hoop. I am the mother here. <laughs> I know you're the older brother, but uh, take chill out. Yeah, take yeah. it back a little bit. Well, we're about 50 minutes in, and we have covered quite a bit. Shame. That was our first episode. Uh, Next episode, we'll talk about control and what we were taught about control, whether that be good, bad, or in between. We'll probably somehow get back to Star Wars. Thank you all for tuning in to the first episode of What We Were Taught, featuring Jack Woods and Landon Wood and the wonderful DJ Phil Collinwood. Hey, thanks for showing up. Thanks for showing yeah, up, man. I know you were bored, but... My hey. random patrol, the uh, the house routine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. We'll see you soon. Have a good one.